You're listening to Contesting Wrestling, a podcast where I am on a mission to try to understand why people enjoy wrestling, because I, like most of society, don't understand what the appeal is. I guess I understand the appeal. I guess we've made it that far in this many episodes. Uh, but, so you know, I really go back and forth. My name is Evan Burke. I do stuff on the internet sometimes, I guess, is the, my cl- claim to fame. What does anyone do? Yeah, what does anyone do? Someone pay Evan for doing stuff, particularly this podcast, by contributing to our Patreon, patreon.com slash contesting wrestling. And I mean, you know, he, he says like, oh, we're, he's trying to understand wrestling, which he doesn't like. But see, the original idea I had for the podcast was contesting wieners, where we reviewed hot dog restaurants. But no, yes. he wanted to suffer. I could go for a nice hot wiener. Uh, that actually would have been worse. That I would have, I would have suffered more for that. I find uh, it is. Love a sausage, not a big hot dog guy. I never said hot dogs. I said wieners. <laughs> you said hot dog restaurants. <laughs> though. You also said restaurants. Yeah. So... Yeah, like like Gray's Papaya, where you can get the hot dogs and the various sausages. We would visit every papaya dog in the city and decide which which one's the nastiest. Were you suggesting that we were mm. going to go to dick restaurants? Because I am on board for that podcast. <laughs> or not. I hope that you don't mean that we were going to go to restaurants where they serve uh, dachshund dogs. Or physically weak men. No. Yes. So I, I refrain from commenting. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my name is Doc Diamond Fire. I've been in. Perf- what we're doing the intros i've been in professional wrestling we hey, are we hey, are this is the orange cassidy ex- episode we yeah, can be um, extra silly we've yeah. all gone insane in quarantine i've been involved in professional wrestling for a little more than 11 years um i've done a little bit of everything i've done wrestling uh, ring announcing commentary uh and i'm very happy to be on this podcast professor I am Dr. Ben Abelson. I am a professor of philosophy at Mercy College. I am also very happy to be on this podcast. It is one of my few anchors to reality still remaining during and these And I am, as times. always, Katie Bella, a.k.a. Ref Katie on Twitter. I am a professional referee. I am, uh, uh, excuse me, I have been involved in res- wrestling since 2014. I've been a fan of wrestling since 2003. Uh I will be doing the spinoff podcast, Contesting Wieners. It will be done solo. I also have a Twitch channel. You can follow that at Over Here Counting on Twitch. I mostly do Pokemon Nuzlocks. Uh, it's uh, going. We'll say that. So you're going to do a solo show with Wieners? Yes. What, what saying, kind Kate? of Wieners? That I presume is a be different solo. one on each episode. Nice. I've been solo contesting my wiener a great deal in quarantine. Oh. oh. Wrestling with it, even. There we go. Um, and this, sorry, I had to remove my cat from the situation. Um, yeah, today, all right. So <laughs> from you, the wiener contesting situation, <laughs> it's why he was getting his claws are very sharp oh. on my lap. I know we're all leave the cats alone. <laughs> it yeah. is. I'm not. I didn't do it intentionally. We're all very He's lonely. just scratchy. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyway, if you are, if this is the first episode you're listening to, um, sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know what? It's actually probably better. Probably not by now. Yes. Yeah. Although it's better that, you know, you know, long term what you're getting into. So I'm not sorry. The way that this works 
is Doc and Katie and Ben are, you know, sort of trying to take me on a journey through wrestling. Because I, I love and respect all of them as people, as artists, and all that. And, and they try to help me understand why uh, they love and have invested so much of their time and life into wrestling. And sometimes they tell me, okay, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to cover this. Um, and then sometimes I'm like, I feel like I want to learn about this thing. Or we come across somebody in our travels and I'm like, I just need to know about this wrestler. And that is very much what has happened today. Yeah. I think this is a case where we've all been looking forward to doing this episode for uh, a while. Yes. Now. yes. So. Like this is where our interests converge, especially coming out of, um, six McFoley centered or McFoley inspired episodes in which I have watched a lot of barbed wire go into a lot of people. These comparatively lighthearted, though at least one still fairly brutal, match you know i don't know it was a breath of fresh air also i kind of just feel like orange cassidy if i was a kid looking to get into wrestling orange cassidy would not only be my favorite wrestler but i would probably be a lifetime wrestling fan if that was the foundation i was building on you know what i mean like i don't know like i just like for me finding seeing him and seeing what he did was such a even as an adult, I mean, trying to get into wrestling, it was such a breath of fresh air. Uh, it, by the way, it is Orange Cassidy's birthday on the day that we're recording this, May the 4th. Uh, so happy birthday, OC. Um, and, you know, he is now, he's been signed to AEW, and he's on national TV every week, and they're starting to really push him. To me, he's, by. I mean, he's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now uh, anyway, but to me, he's one of you know, the the most interesting characters on AEW by far. And uh, so the next generation of wrestling fans may very well grow up watching I Orange sure Cassidy. I sure hope they do. And I, yeah, and I think uh, nothing could be better for the future of the industry. What you think of Orange Cassidy is uh, largely what I think of him, and we all think of him, is certainly not a universal. Um, they're definitely... And they're definitely people that don't like his style. They don't like the um, the very meta of his uh, of his actions. And it's exactly the people that wouldn't like it that would make the kids today think he's even cooler. And uh, that all goes towards uh, hoping that he just continues to rise and continues to become a bigger and bigger star. Yeah, he's an interesting he's an interesting case, largely in that a lot of the criticisms that some of the wrestling traditionalists might raise against him that I think are appropriately uh, targeted at other kinds of recent wrestling phenomena. I think Cassidy really evades those things. Like I think the, the those kinds of criticisms and we'll talk about them don't apply to him as much as they do to other things. And I think he really is, he really is like a unique phenomenon in professional wrestling. Watching the three matches that we watched for today, I had, this feeling about, or I had this realization about Cassidy, um, based on, you know, what I've learned about how characters work in wrestling thus far, where, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, you could sort of say there is a spectrum of wrestling characters, where on one end, you've got straight up gimmicks, uh, you know, one joke characters, I'm trying to think of, I don't know, uh, Isaac Yankum. Right. Right, DDS, like He's so, a like dentist. dentist. Yeah, exactly. Or the Million Dollar Man, or somebody, somebody He's like rich. that, where you know there's like one thing, and it all works in that. And then you've on all the way on the other 
end of the spectrum. You've got guys who are maybe, um, uh, you know, who are just sort of these like beings out of the ether. You know, Randy Savage is maybe an example or where there or, or like Ric Flair yeah. we've talked about is this where it's like Ric Flair is like it's you can't really sum up his character but he's also not like a normal person like he's not just a dude Ric Flair like he's got there's just a lot of stuff going on that's hard to describe and to me Orange Cassidy at first glance seems like a gimmick seems like it's a one joke thing but because of how but he, I, I think that he really is a combination of the two things. I really think that he is, beca- because it's not. <sighs> it's not just one joke. It's not just like oh he doesn't care. That is the that is the initial thing. That's like the surface joke. Right. But that because that would not work if that was actually his character. I've said this before about him. Where what's interesting is that he should not work. The character should not work. A comedic character that just doesn't care, uh, or a is wrestler just who doesn't care. Yeah, especially yeah. right. Who's in a match that they're supposed to be trying where to there's win. There's another guy across the ring that's trying to beat the crap out of them. The thing about Orange Cassidy that makes it work, though, is that he does care about winning. He doesn't care about much, right? He's a very nonchalant individual. Yes. But when it comes down to, um, you know, winning the match and like and and, uh, being a successful pro wrestler in the end. So he's sort of I, I think one one way that I've thought about it is he generally doesn't care. And he's weaponized his not caring against his opponent to fool them into dropping their guard so that he can then defeat If I could bring this to a comparison to Kung Fu movies, it's akin to like Drunken Master, something like that, where somebody is just like, their fighting style is that you don't think they can even stand up, let alone land a punch, let alone knock you out. But no, that's just how they're moving. You can't figure out what's happening next. And to your point about the it being a combination of, of those two kinds of characters, a lot of people that have the first type of character, where it's a very simple character that you can immediately identify all of it when they comes out when they come out these days, uh, they rely on that because they can't do more. The wrestlers that, that do these characters. Now you can grow into something more. Um, but Orange Cassidy isn't using his character or the I don't care shtick as a crutch. He can do anything. Oh, and he trusts us. Trust me. He can do literally anything. Yeah, the two of you trained with him quite extensively, right? Yeah. Doc and Katie? I, I've, I've, been in, I've been in the ring with, uh, with Orange Cassidy. Like, his, his strikes are no joke. His movements are no joke. Uh, just think about the amount of... A bodily control and athleticism it actually takes to do everything with your hands by your sides in your pockets. He's, he's genuinely probably one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Yes. It, and if I'm not mistaken, he started the Orange Cassidy kind of as like a side joke gimmick thing with his friends. I mean, who knows? Just, just, okay. It, that's, it what, that's what it so, seems like. It seems so natural for Orange Cassidy to be Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I mean, some of it, he's He's kind of just like that. Not to get too much into it, but he's kind of just like that. Yeah, he's a unique guy. That's it, for sure. He It kind of reminds me, you know, especially you, know, you talked about comparing him to a drunken master. I mean, he does. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Jackie Chan, 
in a broad right. sense where it's just like it's you know he is a we've talked before about like we had an episode where we were talking about how like um a lot of great comedic actors are like still great dramatic actors because they're just right. like they're really good at acting kind of and it's sort of like he can only express that character through that physicality because he has just absolute control over his body yeah. like absolute like control. like true martial arts level like there was i can't i think in the match with david star he does like a, he or no or it might have even been with kikutaru um i'm trying to remember now uh but he like he like f there are so many times when he counters a hold or like flips a guy with his hands in his pockets and i can't I'm like like rewinding it, watching this, trying to figure it out, and it's just like the level of technique. I mean, there was you know there were, uh, it's it's like, he's also kind of like you know like Victor Borgia or somebody like that, where you know taking this um this virtuosity, uh and using it to make it look like he sucks, and because to to <laughs> yeah. truly communicate that you need to kind of be a master of it. It's yes. kind of like a Philip Glass minimalism too right it's like well, after so many years of indie wrestlers trying to do as many moves as possible the guy that that doesn't but is still clearly of that mold is unique i mean when it comes down to it if you're thinking about it realistically you want to use the least energy possible at every moment yeah. in the match yeah to conserve it um Makes i would to me I would and, and i would say he's less like philip glass if we're going to make um a weird musical comparison i would say that he's kind of like the robert fripp brian eno collaborations where okay. he is where you've got this like unbelievable breadth of skill and technique and talent being ex and and being used to create like very chill sort of pleasant seeming soundscapes uh that still wind up being very mm. intense towards the end okay uh, that's, that sounds right. So uh, so let's get into the um, matches, if uh, you don't mind. What did we watch yeah, this week? Yeah. The first thing we watched was Orange Cassidy against Johnny Cockstrong from Beyond Wrestling, Welcome Home Night One. Speaking of contesting wieners, yeah. moving on. <laughs> uh, Cockstrong would, would likely win any such battle, unless it were against Joey Ryan, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, he was doing that stuff before Joey Ryan. Way before Joey Ryan, that's true. And oh, I yeah. remember I went to Joey Ryan's penis party, this wrestling show he put on last WrestleMania weekend, and I thought it was uh, an oversight uh, that Johnny Cockstrong wasn't involved. But, I don't know, yeah. who knows? Maybe he couldn't make it. Maybe there's um, beef. So, this was... Maybe there's um, wieners. <laughs> wiener beef. All beef wieners. 100%. Dongs! Okay, so yes, th this show, Beyond Welcome Home Night 1, was part of a double header at the Chikara Wrestle Factory uh, that I was there for. You can actually we saw see you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, at the end. <laughs> at the end of the match. But actually, if you watch the beginning of the show, uh, there's this whole thing where um, Mr. Touchdown throws a football into the audience and then asks for it back, but then the person doesn't throw it back and instead they throw it to LAX. And that was me. You can't ah. do it. I'm off screen, but you can see the football. Ah, there you go. Forward. You're such anyway, a troll, Ben. I, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Touchdown. Give me a break. Anyway, so it was part of this doubleheader. It was the first Beyond show I had ever been to. And it was an amazing show. It was the first time I ever saw Jordan Grace. First time I ever mm. saw MJF. Tessa Blanchard yeah, yeah. was in the main event with Princess Kimberly. 
but perhaps yeah. my favorite match of the entire night was Orange Cassidy versus Johnny Cockstrong. Two of my favorite, like, comedic, for lack of a better term, wrestlers in the world doing what they do best. Now, yeah, I, now I will say about Johnny Cockstrong, like, I like Johnny Cockstrong, but he's an example of a guy that has that simple gimmick and then just leans on it. Like, that's his right. entire act. What was his gimmick? I didn't pick up on anything. I didn't pick up on oh, any no? kind of really specific. No, no yeah, I couldn't, no, I couldn't no, really like get No, like, area of his body that he's, no. you know, no. his, his whole moveset revolves around? <laughs> no. I am very bad at sensing sarcasm through Zoom, Evan. You're going to have to be a little more clear. Uh, actually, the, mo- see- the th- most disturbing thing about Johnny Cockstrong to me is that he is a penis-themed wrestler, and he also bears what I felt to be a profound physical resemblance to Jared Kushner. And <laughs> so this match kind of well, made me think yeah. about Jared Kushner's I mean, penis. So thanks. I always Ugh. thought Jared Kushner resembled 180 pounds of flaccid cock meat. He does. <laughs> so Jared Kushner know. does look like if an unpleasant penis uh, was a was a person, like a clammy penis. It's like if God like rant was about to make another human, but realized he hadn't gone to the human parts store to get new human parts, but but all he had was like spare like fucking testicle meat and flaccid like ball skin and cock parts. So he just kind of molded it into a sad excuse for a human made of goo and it called it Jared Kushner. He's got a real non-practicing serial killer vibe. Not, uh, what what now, do you mean non-practicing? <laughs> Despite no, this no visual way Johnny comparison, Cockstrong's 180 pounds. Yep. Yeah, I am a fan of Johnny Cockstrong. Yeah, I remember same. when we first discovered him on the internet, him and Beyond Wrestling at the same time. Right. And then uh, we went to King of Trios that year. Uh, and sitting there at the Beyond table was um, uh, uh, Drew Cordero, a.k.a. Denver, Colorado, the man, not the place who's the yes. guy who runs beyond. And uh, there were t-shirts there, one of which I, I still have that, that I bought, but I was like, a good hey, hey, why isn't there a Johnny Cockstrong t-shirt? And Drew Cordero was like, why don't you ask Johnny Cockstrong? And there he was. <laughs> and he was a very friendly, affable fellow. So, Well, that's nice. Yeah. Gotta, I will hear nothing bad nice. said about Mr. Cockstrong. Uh, oh no! I mean, he he was generally. I, I I did enjoy this match. I enjoy the idea of two wrestlers with with some degree of gimmick trying to figure out how to make their gimmicks work with each other. Yeah, you know, um, how how does this work together? Yeah, the answer is spitting orange juice into Johnny Cockstrong's dick. <laughs> right. One yeah. other one other personal note here. Um, uh, Doc was there. Uh, I guess you and Katie were both wor- worked the Chikara show backstage earlier in the day. Yeah, likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was um, oh, that was the show Tessa Blanchard was asleep at, right? <laughs> I think it might have been. Right, I, I think it was. That, yeah. Right, that's a whole so, other story. Yeah. So Doc, you and I both witnessed this as it was yeah. happening. So you know, Chikara is a kids show, and there was a discount for kids. And so after the Chikara show was over, we both saw this parent come up to Drew Cordero and be like, hey, does the does the discount apply to the Beyond show as well? 
And Drew is like, well, it's not really a kid's show. (laughs) And he he had exactly this match in mind. And you hear him say it on commentary. Like, hey, they ended up coming to the show, you know. But (laughs) I told them. The the afternoon show. Yeah, the afternoon show was for was for uh, was for all ages. Beyond is a little bit of a free for all, um, and that's you know that's they advertise as such. You you kind of you kind of get what you see with Beyond a full, a full smorgasbord of indie wrestling, including all the adult stuff. They advertise as such, and as such, they pack the house. Yes, yes, uh, they came in droves to see Johnny Cockstrong, and uh, <laughs> well, you know. And Orange Cassidy do their thing. Yeah, so Cassidy goes directly for Cox Strong's package. Like, he's not afraid of, of, of the heat. <laughs> package. But yeah. that's a big mistake, you know? I mean... As it turns out, yes. I mean, he thought maybe he's, his power could overcome, but that's, that's his one strong point. Yes. And so he catches him, his foot with his thighs, and Orange has trouble yes. extricating his foot from uh, Johnny Cox Strong's yes. loins. And so, so who comes out to help him but the Swamp Monster, his friend, member of the Gentleman's the Club, the Swamp Monster. Uh, and that then, also was a character uh, that I, I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out what that character's deal was at yeah. all. I couldn't. Um, <laughs> uh, you needed something a little more direct than the Swamp Monster yeah, to I figure just, out I, the character. They called him the Swamp and Monster, that, but then he's covered with. Sorry. Carry on. This is a stupid <laughs> bit, and I will stop it. But yeah, now they're you know they're 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 the, then it's the Swamp Monster and ring announcer Rich Palladino and uh, the referee. I think that's Kevin Quinn. Yes, that's Kevin and, Quinn. Yes, and a bunch of fans all in a line pulling uh, on uh, Orange Cassidy, trying to get his foot from outside of uh, Johnny Cox. And by foot. proxy, pulling on Johnny Cockstrong's wiener. There you go. They were yeah. all members of the Pullet Club. The Pullet Club, yes. Uh, well, that's what Johnny Cockstrong's shirt said. This was I definitely know. in that sweet spot of Bullet Club parody shirts where everybody was doing it and it became really lame. Yeah. But I yeah. love my favorite part is they go back and forth for a while and then they square up as two wrestlers do after yeah. a bunch of exchanges of reversals. But OC squares off with Cockstrong's crotch. Yeah. Not with his face. Low. They square off face to dick. Wieners, everybody. So does Orange Juice play a role for Orange Cassidy comparable to, say, spinach for Popeye? Yeah, that's more or less the idea. But, I mean, beyond unlike Popeye, Orange Cassidy uses the orange juice as a weapon. Ah, so th- there's a specific trope in wrestling that um, that this yes, is meant yes. to emulate. Uh, which is spitting mist. Um, now, spitting mist is uh, either green mist or red mist or occasionally black mist. Um, and it's, it's traditionally been done by uh, Asian wrestlers in America. One, one's for hit points, uh, one's for magic points, and the other's for stamina. Right, yeah. No, I'm yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's traditionally I think been... The, I think Muta ascribed different powers to the different mists at well, some yeah. point. Well, yeah. 
when you get when you get into the specifics of specific angles, they would do different things. Uh, but it was a thing that especially Japanese wrestlers would do in America when they wanted to do the easy gimmick of like mysterious martial arts master that like they can conjure this magic, you know, thing. And this is kind of lampooning that like, well, why do you got to spit some weird mist? I just spit orange juice. It stings. It, yeah, it's, a it's, sick, it's citrus, yeah. you know, and all that. Um, so that's where that comes from within like the wrestling reference. But like, I explained that to you, you still pretty much got it. Like you saw him do it and you're like, Oh, the orange juice, because clearly, I think this might be a good time to, uh, to describe orange Cassidy a little bit more for the listeners. Yeah, that's a good idea. So he comes out head to toe. Well, not head to toe, but shoulders to, to, to ankles in denim, completely wearing denim, denim jacket, denim jeans and then a t-shirt of himself wearing a t-shirt of himself wearing a t-shirt where he is shirtless and uh, his his magnificent abs right his abs and also aviator sunglasses and in one back pocket bottle of orange juice and the other back pocket his elbow pad for some reason that he then puts on after he takes his jacket off What's uh, what's the song he comes out to? I like some classic rock song. That is Jefferson Starship. (laughs) Um, Right. Uh, uh, Jane. Jane Jane by Jefferson Starship, which for some reason is perfect. I can't Uh, I can't explain why, but it really captures that OC vibe really well. He's a little bit. He's got a little bit of a like. Top Gun by way of a bit, yeah. the like like a lazy a lazy version of that guy like he's a bit because he's kind of an update of an archetypical character like he's kind of an update of like um I don't know like Spicoli in Fast Times or Ridgemont High or something like that like he's a little bit in that he's not a stoner but he's like I feel like shares a universe. With a lot of other sort of more stonery characters yeah, yeah, exactly. throughout time, Earl, earlier in his career, before he had really worked at, out all of the stuff, and before he was being used in a major capacity, it would much more be like he's nodding off at the turnbuckle while his tag partner would be doing all the work. But uh, he doesn't really do that anymore. Yeah, he was supposed to be strung out initially, I think. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't. Part of the gimmick. The brilliant part is that none of this was ever said. It's all just—he's such a performer. It's all just out there. He does do promos, uh, and they're fine. But like, he doesn't put a lot of time into his promos. Like, if he has to say a few lines, he'll come out and just be like, "Hey," and then say what he needs to say. Mumbles, and then they move on. Yeah, it's just like, all right, I'm I'm gonna fight you. I mean, he's—he's kind of more of a physical guy. I feel bad that I, uh, or not that I feel bad, but I regret. Um, spending all of my um, Buster Keaton comparisons mm. on Shawn Michaels in earlier episodes yeah, because yeah. it's far more appropriate here. Well, there's definitely a lot of Buster Keaton fans in wrestling. Yeah. But he has all these great little quirks like his kind of thumbs up. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything is just totally nonchalant. Like at the beginning of the star match, he goes to the corner as if he's going to stand up and do a big pose. But instead, he just does the little... See, the thing that I find brilliant about that, he doesn't go to the corner and then not climb the turnbuckles. He goes to the corner, he grabs the top rope with intensity and authority like he's going to climb to the second rope. He then very animatedly puts one foot on the bottom rope and then just turns to the camera. He is putting in the effort to put one foot on the bottom rope. 
we were talking recently about um, new moves. I was asking how often do people come up with new moves. And yeah. I don't know if it's new, but his splash, like his <laughs> off the turnbuckle slump right. onto somebody else is... Yes. He just and falls. He it is true. He just becomes a just a big sack of crap, yeah. <laughs> like sl- <laughs> plopping onto his opponent, and it's fucking incredible. It's great, and he, he'll do it no matter how far away his opponent is. And by that, I don't mean he'll get all the way across the ring. He'll just fall in front of the turnbuckle, no, whether I mean, or not. This this comes into play later. In one yeah, of the, other the matches. Kid match. Yeah. Yeah. So so just uh, wrapping out a little bit more um, of the Cockstrong match. There's this great moment where like, so he escapes um, Cockstrong steamroll where he rolls over the opponent and then eventually lands with his junk on their face, which Cockstrong eventually does pull off. But earlier in the match, Cassidy escapes it and they go to the outside of the ring and out of nowhere, he just effortless, effortlessly does this crazy twisting springboard dive to the floor. <laughs> right. And that's the amazing thing about Orange Cassidy. For all of his inaction through most of the match, at the drop of a dime, he can just pull off some incredible feat of athleticism, seemingly without even trying. Yeah, sometimes with, like, no momentum behind it. Like, he doesn't even have to get a running start. He just boing. Yeah, from a, from a solid standing base. He's, he's, he is incredible. Um, and then he's like... He's getting ready to do a run from the corner. He's like, here it is, that running thing. Yeah. And then he it's just like, makes a bunch of random motions on his way over to the other side. Like, he's the guy that taught me how to work out my neck. And you don't even hear, like, bodybuilders like, oh, yeah, this is what I do to strengthen my neck. It's like, no, this is how you strengthen your neck. And he does, he has exercises for everything down the chain. Every piece of him uh, is primed for all this. Oh, yeah, good exercises. Exercises that even after years I was still struggling with. I watched both of you kill men with your necks on two separate occasions. (laughs) Yeah. That I will not elaborate on. Carry on. Well, the, um... You want to take us through the finish and we should move on because I want to get to the David Starr match. So uh, oh, so finally, Cockstrong gets the steamroll on and, and, and Cassidy's face when the steamroll is coming, when it's impending, is priceless. It's <laughs> yeah. like he sort of resigns himself to it, but is still horrified. Um, and then uh, uh, Cockstrong pa- calls for the pile driver in the tights like uh, Dan Shokodino. He's right. about to stuff Orange Cassidy's face in his trunks before then executing a pile driver. But Orange gets the the juice and Cockstrong blocks his face. But as Katie mentioned earlier, uh, Cassidy gets him with the juice in the dick, burning his dick. <laughs> and then um, he rolls him up for one, two, three, and then casually poses on the ropes and and I, I just need you to confirm as men, does it really hurt that much if you get citrus in your pee hole? I have no idea. I, um, I don't know either, but I'm guessing maybe a little. Evan, you know, right? <laughs> I resent that. I mean, I do know, but <laughs> I want I want I want the listeners to know that Johnny Cockstrong's penis is not actually exposed in the match. No. He has some elaborate cod piece <laughs> uh, that draws your eye to his crotch. But he, he sort of acts as if it is just out freely. A, I would imagine, uh, I, I actually have never put 
my genitals in um, any sort of citrus juice, but I, I would imagine that it stings, you know, the same way soap does or something like that. Maybe you've never dipped it in lime juice? Oh, lime no. juice? Just, just, you know, for some added flair in your sex life? That would life? take a lot of work. I mean, orange juice, maybe, because it's plenty, plentiful and available. Lime juice, I'd have to squeeze all these limes. It's hard to make time for that. Well, you get one of those. You get one of those lime juice. Uh, one of those lime juice containers that has like the precision that's squirter. That's never as good though. And then you just line it up, and then yeah, that's, that's now, never lemon as juice good. would have to hurt. Lemon juice would have to hurt. Yeah, if I'm dipping my junk in in a juice, it's gonna be fresh squeezed. I'm not Freshly squeezed or buy a. This bottle. has been contesting weeds. <laughs> I do have a serious question about yeah. Johnny Cockstrong's penis, which is obviously as a wrestler. Uh, there's got to be a lot of complicated etiquette when it comes to like working out wor when you're working out a match with someone else. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I guess like, is that, you know, obviously anybody who is in a match with Johnny Cockstrong has, I, I would imagine they've worked it out to some degree beforehand and they know like, Hey, he's like, I do a lot of dick stuff. And I, yeah. I would hope that if he, I mean, he continues to have a career. So I would imagine that he is respectful and does not do more cock stuff than he says. He's not but, just I don't like, know, I guess just I'm going to do the shining pencil dick to the face uh, without his opponent knowing what that means. And they're just like, right. you're yes. going to do the what? <laughs> so I guess I just, I, I'm, I'm like, what would that conversation, as a professional, can you walk me through what that conversation backstage would be like? Well, um, it goes back a little further than the conversation you'll have backstage. One thing you have to learn pretty quickly when you're doing wrestling training in the first place is that you're going to be all up in other people's crotches. And you have to get over it real quick, that it's not a sexual thing, it's not a, oh, I'm touching. So just for, um, if you have to body slam somebody, for example, you have to get your arm all the way under their crotch, um, and you can't half-ass it. You can't grab them by the thigh or anything, because it's unsafe. So once you get over all of that, it becomes a lot less of an issue for somebody to be like, look, most of my offense is crotch-based, so just please sell for my dick. <laughs> yeah, you're then, probably uh, happy that you're not taking a bunch of bumps. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it, they're not going to be pile-drivering you over and over again. Um, although I also imagine it depends on how famous the person you're working with is. Like, if you're, you're going to get a match with Joey Ryan, you're probably going to take the, the penis plex or whatever he calls it. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you should probably refuse the match in the first right. place. But yeah, but if it if but if you're yeah. in a match with Stan, some guy from Staten Island who showed up who right. nobody else knows, and he smells like old milk. Oh no! And the know, promoter isn't going to put someone with Johnny Cockstrong who has problems with wrestling Johnny Cockstrong. Yeah, I think sure. that's in the promoter's hands, right? And that's the other thing: if it's somebody who's completely unknown to the audience then they don't have to do all of that stuff because it doesn't add anything to the show. And if yeah. you're somebody with like more clout than they have in wrestling, if the fans more into what you're doing, you could probably veto it and say, well, we'll do my stuff and it'll work. Yeah. All right. I, I feel I, yeah. I'm satisfied with that answer. All right. Good. Um, good. So, all right. So the next match we're talking about uh, was later in 2018. Uh, it was from the beyond wrestling tournament for tomorrow night Two. And it was a number one contendership match for the IWT. Well, at the time it was called the Powerbomb TV Independent Wrestling Championship. It's now the IWTV Independent Wrestling Championship. Is that the whole name? I'm not, of not sure what their exact nomenclature is right now. Uh, I, it would be a little redundant to be like the Independent Wrestling Television Independent Wrestling Championship. 
Yeah, I mean, they but. could do that. <laughs> In any case. Anyway, it's for the number one contender for a ship match for this between Cassidy and David Starr. For this title that's defended amongst uh, numerous indies that are all part of the IWTV network. Um, and beyond being sort of the flagship. So what's cool about this match is, so to begin with, in all of these matches, we see, less so in the Cockstrong match, but in the other ones, one of Cassidy's main shticks, one of the first thing he does, first things he does when he gets in the ring with someone is do these ineffectual strikes, right? That they're, they're, that they're not, they're not even really strikes, right? He like kind of kicks the guy's shin and he just kind of flaps his hand against their chest as if it's a chop yeah. and that kind of thing. And that's, you know, the, the, the traditionalists see that and are immediately like, what is this bullshit he's doing? But of course, I would say back to the traditionalists, look, it's not like people are selling these strikes. That would be phony looking and that would make wrestling look stupid. They're not selling it. They're like, what the fuck is he doing? Which all plays into this whole idea that he's, you know, lulling them into a sense of security or confusing them or getting them off guard in some way by doing it. So in, in every match he does, he starts off with these things and the opponent's like, what the fuck? And then he does something tricky and crazy to get the advantage on them. The difference with this match with David Starr is Starr isn't fucking, doesn't have time for any of that shit <laughs> and refuses to play into OC stuff at the beginning and just brutalizes him. Such a perfect combination of characters because Orange Cassidy's whole deal is that he doesn't care. And as far as I can tell, having this is my second David Starr match I've watched, as far as I can tell, a big part of David Starr's deal is that he cares incredibly hard. Yes. Yes, very much so. He has a well, the very conceit- strong moral sensibility, and he believes he's better than you because you don't have that strong moral sensibility. He is, uh, the conceit of the match is very much that. He doesn't respect Orange Cassidy because he doesn't respect all the bullshit that Orange Cassidy does. Uh, I don't want to uh, ignore the entrances sure. uh, beforehand. David Starr comes out and does his full entrance. To Joan you know, Jett. With, the yeah, Bernie Joan Sanders Jett. of professional wrestling. <laughs> Yeah, that always gets that always gets a bit of a different reaction depending on the crowd. But the ring announcer says his whole spiel. He lip syncs along with his whole spiel. He gets the ring announcer to call him the ace of beyond wrestling five or six times. (laughs) He gets him to turn to Orange Cassidy and say the same thing to Orange Cassidy. And this is what makes him a heel. Maybe he is the best, but he's a real dick about it. And then Orange Cassidy, who usually his announcement is just from wherever his weight does not matter, Orange yeah. Cassidy. This time, he has his own special ring introduction that he has written on a Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> napkin. And this is just the most fucking hilarious thing ever. First of all, the announcement, David Starr's introduction starts off with, he's the cream in your coffee. Orange Cassidy starts off with, he's the cream in your something, I forget. I don't remember the last time I had cream in anything. Does ice cream count? Does ice cream count? And then it goes on and on about ice cream cake. He's sitting in front of the ring announcer, making a variety of poses, mocking David Starr's super serious poses. And Starr is standing there like with the ref, uh, Ref Bankos. Who is incredible, by the way. One of the most underrated, like low-key incredible refs on the indies right now, Chris Bankos. The tattooed ref. Yeah, Yeah, the tattooed ref. 
he said, you know, that's that's been a, that's been a hindrance for him. And he's like, I'll just do well. And then then I'll get a job, even though I'm the tattooed ref. And that's how that's going for him. Yeah, he's like he, he's he straight up goes out there like, why can't I get jobs? Because I have tattoos, because it's been such a thing in wrestling for a long time. The refs can't have tattoos. They only recently let Drake Younger stop wearing that armband they made him wear forever. That hid like the one arm tattoo he had. Did, oh, I thought it was because that? of scars from hardcore matches. No, he has no, a ta- no. he has a tattoo and they don't want their ref and they don't want the refs to have any visible tattoos. They finally let him get away with having like the one. Uh, it's because, like it's an old school mentality of a ref shouldn't have anything on them that makes them stand out. But I feel like in, in this day and age, tattoos don't make you stand out. So many people have so many tattoos, especially it, in the beyond audience. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's a bunch of um, tattooed bearded hipsters. I, I wanted to point out that David Starr is selling Orange Cassidy's mockery of his announcement perfectly the whole time. And like every sentence is more nonchalant and missing the point than the last sentence. And just when it's about to be over, Rich Palladino says the last one of it, which is and the ace of beyond wrestling and David Starr loses his freaking mind. And uh, Banco starts holding him back and he's waving his arms around like Wolverine at the video games. He wants to kill Orange Cassidy so badly. And it's just perfect. In my notes, I described Orange Cassidy's movements during this whole thing as interpretive sitting. Interpretive sitting. That's perfect. Because it's he's almost, they're all almost gestures. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's so good at figuring out, like, to, you know, take his thumbs up, where yeah. it's really the least amount of motion that you could possibly do and still communicate that you're giving a thumbs up to somebody. Yes. Because he's not giving you a thumbs up, but he's not just holding his hand up because then you wouldn't be able to tell what it is. He's ho- And it's just, he really manages to, it's like, all right, I'm, you put your thumb up at about 18%. That's <laughs> when people get what you're trying to do. So I'm going to leave it there. The, the beyond audience, going back into the bigger picture here. Um, unlike a lot, I would dare say most of the wrestling that we watched, there's a whole lot of women in the Beyond audience. Yeah. Yes, I noticed you that. You noticed yeah. that. They get, they get the hipster crowd is what it is. They get the hipster crowd it's and they the are the premier crowd. they are the premier league right now that does intergender wrestling and treats the women with the same respect that they treat the men. So women who like wrestling come to the shows and they feel safer at the shows because even if they have to report to somebody involved in Beyond, there's a much better chance that one of those people would be a woman. The contrast between watching these Beyond Wrestling matches and watching the stuff from Combat Zone Wrestling yeah. for the last, <laughs> like, man. But there's an interesting difference. crossover, right? We watched the David Starr, Joey Janela death match that was at a Beyond show. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not one or the other. But I will say the, the new wrestling audience is very progressive. Um, and is, and you see it, you see the AEW audience taking on that cast and it there's a sort of pipeline down from the indies and it's pretty direct from beyond to AEW. beyond has started to call themselves the taste makers in pro wrestling <laughs> uh, they very much that are. they are that they are so this brings us to the match itself yeah. right so yeah so star he immediately breaks orange cast uh, orange cassidy's glasses like i don't have time for this shit and starts beating the shit out of him and busts his nose open And so we see Orange Cassidy bleed and, you know, sell in a way that up to that point, 
I hadn't really seen, like I had seen a bunch of Orange Cassidy matches, but I hadn't really seen a serious one until this one. Yeah, uh, and he can do them. And this match went a long way into proving to a lot of people, I think, that he can do them. With the character, even. Because even with the character, he's selling like he got popped in the face. Because he got popped in the face. And even with how serious it is, there are these little moments of humor. Like, you know, Orange Cassidy likes to do the nip-up with his hands in his pockets. And then Star tries to do it with his hands in his trunks, and he can't do it. Because almost no one can do that. (laughs) I read that differently. I, I did not read that as Star trying and failing to do it. I read that as Star mocking Orange mm. Cassidy because he had damaged Orange Cassidy to the point where he was not able to do like. But his Orange trick. Cassidy laughs at him when he can't do it. I think he was mocking him and he was like, oh, I can do this shit too. But then he couldn't do it. Oh, uh, okay. I think, I, I think I think that that's where they were going with it. Uh, but one way or another, it played in. They played into each other's characters very well there. Um, David Starr, you know, David Starr's hubris got into came into play several times. Where when he had Orange Cassidy on the ropes, he didn't go for. He didn't try and finish him. He tried to play with him to show the crowd that he's better. But the crowd doesn't make you. The crowd doesn't win you matches. Winning matches wins you matches. Well, <laughs> kayfabe wise, indeed. But the, uh, that's the, the performance, great thing- right? The great thing about how this match was booked, I thought, was that, you know, Orange Cassidy gets an incredible beating from David Starr. And then he gets a comeback uh, and he gets a lot of near falls. And usually when a babyface takes a great beating, gets their comeback and gets a bunch of near falls, they're going to lose. Right. They're getting the near falls to show that they were able to fight back. But then in the end, they lose. He gets all the near falls and then Starr gets a bunch of near falls each of which you believe is going to finally end it, but it doesn't. Yeah, they were all very good. Um, Stars and Cassidy's strikes are both very good in this match when they're actually throwing them, as opposed to, you know, Orange Cassidy's uh, weak ones at the beginning of the match. It's it's funny because he throw everyone knows him for those like joke kicks so to speak that he throws in all his matches, but he actually probably has some of the best strikes in wrestling. I, I was noting... Um, I, was, I was noting in uh, an episode we just recorded that I really hated Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa's strikes on the NXT match that they had because they, they clearly were barely making contact. And, like, you can make a lot of contact and still be safe, you know, and these guys were making good contact because in, a, in, a, in the Gargano-Ciampa match, uh, they didn't have an audience. And when you're just in front of the camera, you know, you're doing your thing and they're going to edit it. But when you're at a place like Beyond Wrestling, where the fans are right at the edge of the ring, you have to convince, as much as they know what wrestling is, you have to convince the fans in the front row that what you're doing is legit. Um, Because if they think, well, this is bullshit, they're going to communicate that to the rest of the audience and then you're going to have a dead audience. Um, But they were laying it in properly, and it made you believe everything. They were having kind of an all-Japan traditional-style brutality uh, off for a bit. And Eddie, Eddie Kingston on commentary was loving it. Well, yeah, Eddie Kingston, incredulous that Orange Cassidy could do an ankle lock. Like, how right. did he learn that? Kind of a simple hold. Yeah, right. I know. That's what was hilarious about it. And then at the end, the crowd chanting, you can't beat him to David Starr. Yeah. When he just wouldn't go down. That was great. I will just say David Starr really got me in a heel moment in this match when he turned to Bankos, the ref, and called him a fucking idiot. I remember I oh, was yeah. freaking, I'm like, he can't talk to Chris Bankos like that. <laughs> Nobody should talk to Chris Bankos like that. And no. I'm like, oh, he just got me. And I don't yeah. I don't know if you picked up on it, Evan, but 
Star has some incredible flurries of technical wrestling in this match. Yes. Just really quick yes. things that he does that show how good he really is. You know, and he's another one of these guys who doesn't do a lot in his matches, you know, but when he does something, you notice it. I had gone and read um, Star's Wikipedia recently. Oh, yeah. And learned that he was an amateur wrestling champion in high school. Yeah. That, and stuff like that, and did that for a long time. Even though amateur wrestling and professional wrestling are completely different, having an amateur background really, really helps. Yeah. I yeah. Guess so. And in the end, Star's hubris was his undoing. Uh, Cassidy catches him in an elaborate pinning combination known as the mouse trap. Well, first, and Star's yeah, ankle but gives out. I couldn't. Star's, yeah, Star's ankle, ankle gives out gives because out. of the ankle lock. And then, yeah, I love the fucking mouse trap. It is such a brilliant looking wrestling hold. I, like, couldn't do the math on that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it seems really complicated. Yeah, you watch it back a bunch of times and figure out where the arms go and where the legs go and where the momentum goes. And, yeah. And no, no one's kicked out of it as far as I've seen. No, not that I know. Out of, out of Orange Cassidy's mousetrap. Did he invent that? Or is that like a, a Lucha hold maybe that he got from Quackenbush or I'm something? I'm honestly not sure. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Maybe it's a Skyda thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it seems like that kind of a Yave yeah. Lucha style Yave. submission or pinning combination. But it was the perfect finish, I thought. Is the yes. Canadian Destroyer a joke move? No. Now okay. it kind well, of now is. Now it is. All right. So there's a it's lot a to say. It's a long story. Yeah, it's oh. a long story. I, I can I can tell it shortly. Yeah, let's let Doc give the abridged version. So almost uh, about 18, 18 or so years ago, a guy named Petey Williams, who was Canadian, started doing that move, called it the Canadian Destroyer. Now, Amazing Red claims that he invented it. But anyway. Yes, the Amazing Red claims he invented most moves. He stole half of them from Nova, I hope you know. So um, Petey Williams started using it on TNA, and it was the, the flashiest move almost anybody had ever seen. A flipping pile driver, surely that will kill you. Now, the thing about the Canadian Destroyer is that it's almost 100% in the person taking it to do it. The person doing it just has to get over the other person. And that's and obviously the case. Yeah, and since you're rotating, it's actually less dangerous... Uh, than a regular pile driver because you're not going straight down on your head. You're rolling backwards. Mm. So as more and more wrestlers realized that they could, in fact, do it, they all just started doing it. And over the course of the last 15 years, it's gone from the flashiest and most feared finisher in wrestling to a move now that wrestlers in their mid-60s do because they know how funny it is that they can pull it off. And the crowd will react like, oh, yeah, man, I saw Ricky Morton from do it. Yeah, Ricky Morton did the Canadian Destroyer, huh? So it's perfect for a guy like Orange Cassidy, who's half a joke wrestler. Sometimes he does it where he just slowly crawls over the guy onto his back and pulls him down, but not this time. I think that's where full... it started, right? Yeah. It was the slow motion version. And then when right. he started doing more serious matches, because he used to do the slow motion version, he started doing the regular version. The great thing about the slow-mo version, and I'll try to find a gift to send you, Evan, is that after he he just rolls over the guy, the guy rolls over him, and then the guy stands straight up on his head like he got pile-drived. <laughs> the fun thing I find with Orange Cassidy is, is it's become like you never know when he's actually going to hit it. Right. Because sometimes he'll actually hit it like he did in this match, and 95% of the time, it's a fake-out. Yeah. So you never know when he... And, and you never know when he's actually going to go for it. Well, this thing, it's kind of like this... um. I'm sure there's a term for this in wrestling. It reminded me a bit of like a modern version of how Hulk Hogan's character sort of had a third act built into it. Yeah. 
the definition of Hulk Hogan was like him hulking up after. Is it hulking out or hulking, hulking up? up. I hulking remember. up. Well, you notice in the Kikotaro match, they talk about Orange Cassidy pulping up. Pulping, pulping up. up. Yes, yes, I did. I did notice when he pulped up, and that was that was brilliant. Oh, one of the few acceptable puns. <laughs> but anyway, finish your point, Evan. I love how Orange Cassidy has his character is defined by the moment where he starts to care. Yeah. Or at least, or the right. moment in which I guess he feels that he has successfully lulled his opponent into a false sense of security and then he executes his. Yeah. You know. I think, I mean, you can think of it as more continuous than that. He's always doing as little as possible to, to, to do what he yes. wants to do. As the match goes on, that requires a little more. A little, as little as possible is a little more than it yeah. was. By the end of the match, it's quite a lot. By the end, as little as possible yeah. is a lot. And that's exactly what wrestlers need to learn these days. right? The, the greatest criticism yeah. against current wrestlers. And this is why I think the traditionalists should love Orange Cassidy. Because he's a worker. You know, unlike these guys who just right. go out and do flashy flips and stuff like that, that mean nothing. Everything Orange Cassidy does means something. And that's why his matches are so engaging. Just the the few matches I've seen of his, you know, these three and then the XSW match he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I th- think there's been one or two others in there somewhere. But yeah, like the fact like he really can do this huge variety of stuff and it seems like that. I mean, it, wrestling is entertainment at the end of the day, right? Like, and so if like you can go yeah. out and wrestle a traditional match, and you can go and do a straight up comedy match like XSW, and then you could do things that are somewhere in between that. Like, there's always there's traditionalists and purists in every art form. I'd say the the people who really hate Orange Cassidy aren't even like the Jim Cornette style traditionalists or purists. They're the hardcore fans. They're the, like, like you'll see the guys with their arms crossed in front of them. Like, what the fuck is this bullshit? I came here for violence. This yeah, those violence. are the people who really hate Orange Cassidy, yeah. I think. And I've seen them <laughs> very loudly pronouncing their hatred. Is it sort of like ardent death metal fans who refer to bands with singing as pussy vocals? <laughs> yes. That yes, kind, exactly you that nailed kind it. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, completely yeah. nailed it. So... To everyone's surprise, Orange Cassidy not only beat David Starr in the match we watched to become the number one contender to the Powerbomb TV Independent Wrestling Championship, but then he beat uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams for the title and became the IWTV champion and defended it all the fuck over the place, including XSW. Uh, We watched that match. And including this promotion, ICW New York, which was actually running in New Jersey that night. Um, I don't know anything about ICW, uh, but they were running in Ridgefield, New Jersey, and they featured an IWTV title defense between Orange Cassidy and challenger Kikutaru in a two out of three falls match. Kikutaru. What does ICW stand for? Do we know? I believe it's insane, insane championship champ, wrestling, but honestly, I don't know. Everybody come to wrestling. Everybody come to wrestling. It's, yeah. it's, it's I like that. Crazy wacky. It's crazy, it's crazy wacky. wacky. Like that, that sounds like something out of a Homestar cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are watching Orange Cassidy versus Kikutaro. It's, it's crazy, crazy wacky. So Kikutaro is perhaps the greatest comedy wrestler of all time. 
he's just he's been doing it in Japan for like 20 years now, I think. He was originally Ebisan, which is a play on the Japanese god of fishermen and luck, Ebisu. Uh, and so that's what his face looked like. You'll see statues in Japan that look just like Kikutaro's face. I'm not sure why he changed it to Kikutaro. I think it probably has something to do with trademark stuff between Japanese companies or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he is like the god of fucking Japanese comedy wrestling. And so, you know, it made perfect sense that he would get Wait, a title shot against Orange the, Cassidy. Is the Japanese god of fishermen copyrighted? I don't know. Maybe uh, the certain is image that... <laughs> he was using could have been. His his name was not Ebisu, which is the name of the god. It was Ebisan. Uh, okay. And I don't understand Japanese grammar enough to know quite what that the difference connotes. But, right. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know why he changed his name. So it could be copyright stuff. That's usually why wrestlers... Well, his name. name is Kikutaru now. He's been based out of Las Vegas for a few years. He's been wrestling all around America because we love his act. They announced him from Las Vegas, Osaka, Japan. Right, Las Vegas, Osaka, Japan. He starts out, as usual, like not taking Orange Cassidy seriously. Orange comes out doing his whole championship entrance with his belt in the Jan Sport backpack and, um, you know, holding his arms just high up enough to let you know he's the champion. That's what I like about this match. Doc and I and Katie, none of us had seen this match before. No. Uh, we wanted to they, we wanted to pick one of Orange Cassidy's IWTV title defenses. And then when we saw there was one against Kikutaro, we were like, all right, well, we have to see this. Um, and I think it makes a great contrast because with the match with Cockstrong, you have two comedy wrestlers and they both kind of are wacky. If anything, I think Cockstrong might be the wackier one in that match. Yeah. I would argue that the penis-themed wrestler is a little wackier, yes. And so Cassidy is more playing it relatively straight for him there. Whereas yeah, in the him. Kikutaro match, it's Kikutaro who plays it straight and lets Orange be the wacky one. And that's really funny because Kikutaro looks ridiculous <laughs> to begin with. For, so for him to be the, the normal one is hilarious in and of itself. Now, Kikutaro knows how to do this. He's been in enough comedy matches that he knows how to play the straight man in all of it. He's done it before whenever he like kind of works heel. He doesn't play complete straight man. But you're right. He lets Orange do all of his goofy Orange stuff. And that's, uh, that's great. But he, he opens the match talking to uh, Orange Cassidy on the mic. He says in his slightly broken English that they will, they, they will have a comedy match and the audience will laugh and everybody will have fun. And isn't that great? And then he offers to shake on it. Orange takes his hand. Kikutaro kicks him pretty low. Screams, psych, haha, goes to pick up Orange Cassidy for a body slam. Orange is too heavy for him. Cassidy falls on top of Kikutaro and pins him. That's the first fall. Uh, referee Chris Levin yeah. presiding, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our dear friend Chris Levin. He's amazing. Kid he Rafa. added so much to the match, like just with his reactions and his faces. Absolutely. I want to point out about the handshake. Mm -hmm. Orange Cassidy usually gives the super limp yeah. handshake. But Kikutaro, and I think it makes sense. That Orange Cassidy would shake Kikutaro's hand <laughs> right. real. So yeah, then they, you know, after that first fall, Kikutaro does the whole thing again. He does. But this yep. time, kicks out. <laughs> um, and then they, they do a whole the shin strike exchange. So Orange Cassidy's doing his little fake kicks to the shins, and Kikutaro's doing it back. 
and th- they do that for a they while. Both, they both go um, back until, and do the low super kicks. Yeah, until Kikutaro is tired and asks for a timeout. <laughs> timeout. Always a request in wrestling when you hear somebody shout timeout. I was, like, surprised I haven't seen that before because it's such a hilarious... Yeah. It's such a hilarious Oh, heels move. do it a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. all the time. Back in the day, they used to do it's, it. It's a common... They were real heels. Yeah, it's a common heel tech to be like, no, 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 put, back them up. I need a minute. And then the announcers will be like, there are no timeouts in wrestling. What is this? Football? He's, he's just a coward. Pussy-ass football. Yeah. That's an exact quote. <laughs> With their timeouts and their... And their uh, pads. Right, their pads and their helmets. Vince, you know, this was usually Vince McMahon on commentary, at least what I'm thinking of. And he'd take any opportunity to take a shot at football. So as the match goes on, Kikutar, he drinks the orange juice, which gets a you sick fuck chant from the audience. And they do a lot of back and forth spots with that orange juice bottle. Yeah, so Kikutaru gives the uh, ring finger salute. Ah, the the ring finger salute. Not the middle finger. And Doc, yeah, you know, I, I don't that. usually tell a lot of stories about like stuff that happens inside Chikara. It's very insular. But I'll, I'll tell this one is we brought in Kikutaru, who was very nice to everybody. I might add, I talked to him for a little while in the locker room. He was way cool. Um, and usually when people who were not inside Chikara come to work for Chikara during the pre-show meeting, you know, Mike Quackenbush would tell everybody, just remind her that Chikara's PG show. Don't use any uh, foul language or sexual innuendo or rude gestures. And Kikutaro just speaks up and he's like, well, what about this? And he does the two ring finger salute and everybody laughs except Quackenbush, you know. <laughs> and Quack thinks about it for a second and he's like, no. And he's like, you sure? Because Kikutaro just keeps doing it. <laughs> like, you sure? I can't. This is okay, right? I, I would have let him do it. it. I would have let him do it. I thought it would have been hilarious. One of my favorite spots of this whole match is just Chris Levin taking an Irish whip from Kikutaro for, for, for seemingly no reason yes. other than he was the one standing right there. And yeah. stopping like just short of the big boot from uh, Orange Cassidy in the corner, who does a big boot by literally standing still in the corner and just lifting his leg up. <laughs> lifting his leg, yeah. My favorite part of the match, I think, is when um, Kikutaru chops Orange Cassidy a couple of times, and Orange Cassidy almost taps out <laughs> from getting chopped yeah. and like crawls to the ropes. As if he's like es- gonna escape the pain somehow <laughs> by getting to the rope, and Kikutaro pulls him back into the ring, and then they struggle over the orange juice. Yeah, and then when Orange Cassidy finally gets a sip, that's when he pulps that's up. That's when he pulps up. He needed pulps his up. OJ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the commentators is like, "Oh, is he a pulp guy?" It's like, "Yes, he's a pulp guy." And then Katie, you mentioned earlier the the splash where Kikutaro is completely across the ring. And Orange Cassidy, it's like he's going to try to make it. The funny thing is, I know the man behind Orange Cassidy could absolutely make that jump. No questions asked. He's totally capable Mm -hmm. of doing it. That's just not the character Orange Cassidy is, though. Orange Cassidy just falls. I want to point one minor detail out about this splash. He did go a little further than he usually did. To indicate that he (laughs) he put it all out there. He made it almost halfway to halfway across the ring. Um, Yeah, it's just absolutely brilliant. How long has Cassidy been wrestling? Since like 2004, 2005, something like that. I'm not, I'm, when did Orange Cassidy itself start? 2010, maybe? Uh-huh. I think it was eight. much earlier than you think. Earlier, yeah. Eight, right. I think I've told this story before on the podcast, yeah. but I'll tell it again now. Doc and I were at King of Trios 2009. Oh, yeah. 
at at the fan conclave at the arena and uh sitting yeah and sitting at a table was chuck taylor longtime associate of orange cassidy we didn't know who orange cassidy was at the time but chuck taylor sitting there and uh he has a t-shirt in front of him that says orange cassidy on it and he says hey you want to buy an orange cassidy t-shirt and i'm like uh no not really i don't know who that is and he's like, oh, but it's a, it's a great shirt, Orange Cassidy. I'm like, well, who's Orange Cassidy? He's like, yeah, it's, it's Orange You don't know who Orange Cassidy is? Come on, it's Orange Cassidy. And I'm like, eh, still no. And Doc is, is trying to put me over. And he's like, you know, this guy here is a philosophy professor or he's in grad school or whatever I was at the time. I was still in grad school. Uh, and he, this guy's going to become a philosophy professor. And Chuck Taylor's like, well, you know what goes really well with being a philosophy <laughs> professor? An orange Cassidy t-shirt. And he just does this like full on carny wrestling oh, yeah. thing. Just really trying to sell me this thing. And goddamn, I wish I had bought it. <laughs> you oh, should have bought it. You should have oh, bought it. You would have been yeah. ahead of the game. You, I would have had the classic orange Cassidy and, and t-shirt. Now, now the two of them are in a stable yeah. together in AAW. They, they are best friends along with Trent. And they really are. So that's great. I would Indeed. wear an orange Cassidy shirt. I have to say. Yeah. I, would, I, I would express... Because what this kind of falls into, this is a little bit the same thing that I had watching XSW. This is more, obviously, a lot more, you know, in, in the definitely wrestling sphere. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I really love it. It obviously is wrestling, but it also still feels like this completely other thing outside of 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 everything you've shown me and, and, the, and the, you know, lineage of the WWE and the fucking... Do you like Orange Cassidy better than Kenny Omega? Whoa, man. Those are two different uh, wrestlers. But they may and be you know the what? two most popular baby faces in AEW for two very different portions of the audience. Sure. I got to say, I have to say so far, I mean, I think my three, I th- you know, three of my favorite wrestlers that you have shown me thus far are Orange Cassidy, uh, Kenny Omega, and Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they're all in AEW is very exciting. You know, it's the difference between a, a, a great dramatic actor and a great comedic actor, even though Kenny Omega is also sure. very funny. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like what they both do, what they share is a virtuosity. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like they both have, the two of them are two of the most readily apparent accomplished athletes of any, I feel like any of the wrestlers I've seen so far, like not to you know shit on other wrestlers or anything, but and, um, and a creativity on top of that. Yes, like there are a lot of great athletes in wrestling. There, I mean, they're kind of a dime a dozen. Yeah, you know, but having someone who's that great of an athlete and a great creative mind on top of it, that's what's really yeah. Real. Well, before yeah. the finish, Kikitaro hits a low blow and then hits an absolutely beautiful German suplex. And then Michinoku yeah. Driver. So, like, if you had any question about whether Kikutaro can actually wrestle, in like three seconds he shows yeah, he you knows what he's doing that he is quite adept. And I, th- I think that's a really important point of the match because actually, so I watched this other match between Cassidy and Kikutaro, and it was very similar, but there was no part of the match where they did yeah. that. And I think for Kikutaro, it was like this is an important championship title match. Like, even if we're going to joke around a bunch, 
we need to show that you know we really are two top wrestlers who deserve to be fighting for the yeah. the IWTV championship. So um, Kikitaro puts Orange Cassidy in a front face lock and cuts a whole promo. Right, right. About how he's happy to be on the East Coast. He calls <laughs> it the East Coast Championship. <laughs> Because I don't think he really knows. Uh, he didn't care to really learn the name of the title or anything. Um, and, he, yeah, he just cuts this whole promo and then eventually gets put in the mousetrap, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, and then uh, he gets pinned and he gets up. And then he starts arguing with uh, with Chris Levin. Like, okay, so that's, that's two falls. We're doing three falls, right? And Chris just sells it so good. Like, just kind of puts yes. that cringe face on, like, oh, that's not how this works, buddy. Yeah, first he's arguing that he should get another fall because it's yeah. three falls. And then they explain to him, no, it's two out of three falls. You lost two, so there's no reason for a third fall. And then Kikutaro seems to have forgotten that the first fall right, ever happened. it was the happened. first thing in the match. And they need to remind yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> one thing that happened in the middle that I forgot that I'm going to state now at one point, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. Orange Cassidy uh, goes down, Kikutaro covers him, and uh, Chris Levin counts to two, and Cassidy kicks out, and Kikutaro turns to Chris Levin, and he says, that was four. And he starts arguing, that was four. And Levin says, that was two. And he says, that was four. You're racist. That was four. And uh, Levin sells it perfectly. Like, Levin is such a great performer. I can't, you know, stop gushing about I that can't guy. say a negative word about the man. Oh, no, no. He, he has shown me a picture of Brian Nobbs' anus, and I'll never forgive him for that. But other than that, he's the best guy. Speaking of which, if any of you <laughs> ever want to if... see a picture of Brian Nobbs' anus, just ask Chris Levin. It would be great if Kikitaru, like, had haggled yeah. a bit. Like, he's like, it's four. And Levin's like, no, it's two. He's like, okay, okay, three then. <laughs> there would still be two, though. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's, I mean, it's two. The ref says two. We've gotten a good view, overview of what Orange Cassidy does. But one of the great things about him is every match really is unique. Like, there are certain things he always does, but he finds something different to do in every match that I've seen of his. And there were a whole bunch of IWTV title defenses, some more serious than others. Um, but I think, you know, it would it definitely would be rewarding to go through all of them. I'm going to take a guess at what's going on under the hood here. His character and his performance is clearly something that has been like forged over time. It's clearly been him oh, yes. being really vigilant about finding like what works, what doesn't, what is the best way to communicate the specific, I guess, character that he is portraying that um, trying to figure out how to phrase it. But I don't know. So it seems like something that he has meticulously built up over time and i'm sure that a big part of that is going into every match like how do i refine this how do i find what works best between our two characters here right. how do i further develop this character by bouncing it off of other people well he actually does care a lot about the development of it which is why he takes that specifically so seriously for every match he does he's like well who am i wrestling i'm only half of this how do our ingredients cook and he's also totally committed. Like I said before, the traditionalists should appreciate his adherence to kayfabe and that kind of thing. Because I don't know, I, I went to the one XSW show that he was at. And the second he walked in the door and there was, you know, it was fans in the lobby. He was Orange Cassidy. Right. You know, there was no day. He was in full character. And it's not hard. I mean, he just he is just Orange Cassidy. Like, it's part. He's just, honestly, yeah. yeah, he's not exactly like that, but he is kind of just like that. Which brings us back to what you had mentioned all the way at the beginning, guys like Ric Flair. Well, what's Ric Flair's gimmick? Well, you know, 
You can't Ric really describe Flair. it in two words. <laughs> but when Ric Flair walks into a room, he's just Ric Flair. When Ric Flair walks into a bar and sits down, he's going to buy drinks for everybody, whether or not he can afford it. He'll tell you stories all night long, and then he'll get up at six in the morning and go to the gym because that's who he really is. You know, uh, maybe he won't actually yeah. get his buddies to trap you in a steel cage and break your arm. <laughs> but that's the only difference. And to me, that's the beauty right. of wrestling. Like you only really get these kinds of characters in wrestling. Like you see them elsewhere in media. Like, you know, it's like, oh, that person is a is a real character, you know, and like like a, a particular, you know, metal singer or whatever. You know, like Ozzy Osbourne, the character is a little bit different, but from Ozzy Osbourne, the person, but there is that continuity, but in wrestling, that's the whole point, you know, or at least it was for a long time. And to some degree with, when it's at its best, it still is that the, the person, the character you're being presented with on television is not just a part that's being played. It has some connection to the actual person who's well, playing. Ozzy's the perfect example of a more mainstream celebrity because they did that whole long TV show about his regular life. And sure, you go into his house and he's kind of a drunk, slurring grandpa who's kind of lovable and has to go to his job and his wife tells him, here's, you're going to perform in Detroit on Saturday. But still, he's at home in his couch like, I'm the fucking Prince of Darkness. Because he is. And his kids won't listen to him. Right, and his kids won't listen to him. You know, I didn't watch too much of the Osbournes, but I and distinctly... their neighbors keep calling the cops. I distinctly remember him being like, okay, go out. If you have sex, wear a condom. And Kelly being like, and, dad. And, and their one daughter just constantly insists on having her face blurred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. No, and it's uh, Fairly recently, I read an interview with Marilyn Manson a couple yeah. years ago. And I thought it was really sad because the whole interview, he seems like he's still trying to hold up this like scary Manson persona. And it just it comes off yeah. as really pathetic. Were you there point. when he almost got squished? I was. Yes, I saw the fucking guns fall oh, on no. him. It was sad, man. He was obviously drunk off his ass during the show. He claims that he was trying to hold the thing up because it already started following, falling. Uh, but from my perspective, being there, it looked like he was drunk and fucking with the thing. Well, well and not it fell to get on. too into it because we're wrapping the episode up, and this is not contesting Marilyn Manson, but uh, <laughs> it's really come out in the past few years what a problematic human he is. Oh, well, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was much of a secret. Yeah, there's no I mean, I read his autobiography in junior high school and I didn't have quite the moral compass that I have now. Um, but it was already clear to me that <laughs> he had a lifestyle that wasn't exactly it, it wasn't exactly wholesome. And not just because he was doing thing that doing things that, you know, uh, more conservative Christian people or whatever might object to. But he was doing truly abusive things to people. I also feel like he's, you know, that that's a real that really demonstrates the peril of re committing yourself to a character that is not necessarily a reflection of who you are. Like, I'm sure maybe he was that guy to, to some degree in his 20s, but it's not something that compared to like Tom Waits, right? Who like, I'm sure Tom Waits's persona is kind of a character, but I'm also sure he's 
a lot like that <laughs> right. when you talk to him. Like, you know, he just kind yeah. he just kind of turns it up a little bit. Or like or even like David Bowie, who like maybe we think of as somebody who had all these different personas and characters, but I'm pretty sure all of those were still basically just like David Bowie turning it up a little bit and yeah. he was still that guy to some degree as opposed to a a complete fabrication or performance um or 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 just a thin character based around what was shocking to people in 1996 and, and as he got older yeah. bowie that is he adjusted that character whereas manson's adjusted his character a little bit but he's largely still trying to be the same character he was in 97 he no, started yeah. with mechanical animals it seemed like he was actually developing his character yeah. in interesting ways and then his record sales tanked and he regressed and then he's just been afraid to let go of that 90s shock goth kind of character uh, because that's where he thinks his bread is buttered. But the, the saddest thing about it, and I think this, you know, we can tie this back to wrestling and with Ric Flair and people like that. At some point, even if you're still playing that character, you don't have to live it quite as hard anymore right like i remember evan you telling me about tom waits he quit smoking cigarettes at some point in his life and he still smokes them on stage yeah you know because it's part of the character but it's like you don't have to be that a hundred percent all the time and you're not that doesn't make you like a fucking poser or a sellout all of those concepts should die by the time you turn 30 and realize you might be a different person when you get older than you were when you were younger and so is everybody and that's okay including all your idols kill your idols folks they're all just people I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Kill your idols. They're all just people. Right. This has been contesting wieners. Except for Orange Cassidy. He's not, he's, he's not real. No. He very much is. This has been Contesting Wrestling. Follow us on Twitter at ContestingW. Let us know uh, what you think. Uh, let us know if there's anything that you think I should see that will help me learn more about wrestling let us know if there's anything about orange cassidy that we should talk about on uh this week's mini-sode that we're gonna drop on friday and the premium episode we're, we still have a premium episode to record about orange yes cassidy. Yes. And, yes and if you want to hear premium episodes in general we put out one a week and you can hear one for five dollars a month so it's like a dollar 25 per episode if it's a four wednesday month if it's a five Wednesday month, I don't even have the ability to do that kind of math on what, one dollar what a deal Evan. you'd be getting. One dollar. Pay us more so that Evan can go back to school and learn math. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's getting really difficult as I age. And uh, and for one dollar, uh, you don't get premium episodes, but you do get these sweet sweet main feed episodes a couple weeks in advance. And pretty um, much as soon as they're done being edited, they go up on Patreon. And for a hundred dollars yes. a month, you do get the secret episodes of contesting wieners. <laughs> oh yeah, we work real hard on those. <laughs> um, Stay out of the ocean. The Patreon does really help, especially because uh, ever since we've been doing this under quarantine, it is a lot harder to edit these. Yeah. So <laughs> we we really appreciate it. Um, and also, uh, we appreciate you no matter what, even if you're not a premium listener. Certainly. You're Thank still you you're still a viable human. Stay out of yeah. the ocean, guys. Stay out of the ocean, everybody, especially now. Do not go there. Thank you. We love you. <laughs>